I'm going to be speaking to you today. I'm so glad that Tim brought that word about uh, the fear of the Lord being the foundation of wisdom. Because I felt on, that I should be speaking to you today, particularly about wisdom. And we're going to look at something uh, in the book of Ephesians, particularly about wisdom. Felt something on my heart for you, for you guys. But first of all, I want to just say a few words about the, the, the letter to the Ephesians in, in, in the Bible. I'm not sure how much time you guys have spent in that book as a, as a, as a, as a church. Um, it's a wonderful book. Some people say it's the most sublime of the Apostle Paul's writings. You know, he takes you to heights that you would rarely get to, um, particularly in, in t- talking about the gospel and the, and the church. And really what he does in chapter 1, just a quick whistle-stop tour, he speaks of the incredible blessings that all of us who are in Christ have experienced. So you may be here today and you may not be able to say hand on heart that you're in Christ. You might not even know what that means. Hand on heart, you might not be able to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here because you're interested in Jesus. You're here to find out more. But I know many of us in the room will say, no, I'm in, I'm in Jesus. I, I know what that means. I've been, I've been joined to him through faith. I've, I've, I've put my trust in him. I believe that he died for me, that he rose again for me. I believe that because of what he did, my sins are forgiven. I believe I've been reconciled to God through Jesus. We, we, we are familiar with these terms, and Paul goes into what that means. It's, it's, not, it's not primarily that you chose him, but glory to God, he chose us. Amen. And you go, what? That he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him. That he redeemed us, forgave us, adopted us, sealed us with his spirit. All these glorious things he goes into, and then he begins to pray that the Spirit would freshly open the eyes of the believers so we can get it, because we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand what really has happened, right? We need the Holy Spirit to constantly be opening the eyes of our hearts so that the mist lifts more and more and more, and we see what God has done for us in Jesus, so that our hearts fill with genuine gratitude, and we, we find that, that love for God that we know we should have more and more. We find as we see what he's done for us that that love grows in our hearts. And then in chapter 2, he begins to drill into the reality of what that meant, that we were doing our own thing. We were living our own way. We were following the instincts just of our natural fleshly ways. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, had mercy on us, made us alive in Christ, seated us with him in heavenly places. Glorious, incredible things that if you're a believer, you're not just sitting in West Earlham Junior School, are you? You're sitting somewhere else at the same time, aren't you? You're sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, in this moment, you are seated with him in the heavenly places. How about that? Extraordinary thought. He goes into that and then he begins to talk through all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not just that he dealt with the barrier between us and God, but the walls we put up between one another. Those divisive walls, whether it's between male and female, whether it's Jew and Gentile, whether it's people from different so-called social standings broken down in Jesus Christ so that we can become one, so that we can become family in him. Hallelujah. That he has accomplished it. That he did it at the cross. That at the cross, the walls were coming down. And uh, it was like an extension project, if you like. That a huge wall was being knocked down so that Jews and Gentiles can be part of God's family and home together. And because for many of us, that Jew-Gentile thing, it's a, bit, it's, a bit, it's a long way away, historically. That division, it's a long way away in our own experience from probably most, if not all of us. So we can think, well, okay, but let me assure you, any other division that you can think of between people, that division was bigger. That division was bigger. 
And so any other division that you experience and find between other people can be overcome through Christ. Amen? Amen. So he goes into these amazing things. He talks about this, this house that God is building, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, a place where God himself can dwell, this thing we call the church. God's dwelling place. And then he begins to talk about his ministry as an apostle, what God has entrusted to him, this kind of stewardship of this amazing mystery of, 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 of all that God has done in Christ, how it wasn't fully revealed in previous times, but now it has been. And he begins to pray that God would come in his power again and fill the believers with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. To be filled with the fullness of God, what would that look like? And then he begins to speak about the unity in the church. How important it is that we, that we are eager to maintain what Christ has brought for us. That he's made us one, but that we have a responsibility to maintain that. How? Why, how? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the way we, we treat one another. Isn't that a thing? That this extraordinary uh, accomplishment of Jesus on the cross is maintained by believers who are careful to treat one another well to treat one another with kindness, to treat one another with humility, to treat one another with generosity, to treat one another with tenderness, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, that if we don't do those things, and that if we give way to sometimes the desires in our natural self, in our flesh, if we don't treat each other in that way, we can begin to eat away at the full, the full enjoyment of all that Jesus has won for us. He speaks about how apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers have been given by the risen Jesus to the church so that the church is equipped to build itself up in love and not tear itself down. Amen? Amen. It's so easy to think negative thoughts about other believers. It's so easy to say little cutting words. It's so easy, isn't it, to be careless. Because actually we've been charged by God to build one another up in love. And as we do so, the Bible says that the church, which is the body of Christ, will grow and grow and grow to the point, to the point where the church itself matches in stature with the head. What a thought. That when we're constantly biting away at each other and being divisive and not taking things seriously, that we remain this kind of immature, almost like a toddler's body. Imagine that. It's a bit of a grotesque idea, isn't it? Jesus, this mature head. And attached to this immature body that's constantly gossiping, speaking negatively, harboring unforgiveness in their hearts. And while it's doing that, it remains, it's kind of shrunken out of, it doesn't, doesn't fit. But as we learn to build each other up, to take seriously this ministry of encouragement, of serving one another, of preferring one another, that the body builds and builds. And then, and then when, when the world sees the church, they see something that looks like Jesus. How about that? Rather than this thing that kind of names the name of Jesus but looks nothing like him, they see something and go, wow, what is that? That's extraordinary. And then the second half of chapter 4, he begins to drill into really, you know, the practicalities of walking with God and then on into chapter 5. And I want to read to you from chapter 5 today of Ephesians and then focus on verses 15 to 17. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, Ephesians 5 verse 1, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality 
and all impurity or covetousness. Covetousness is when you desire other things so much that you lose your peace, that you lose your contentment in God. You're reaching for stuff to the point that you're no longer content in God. All of these things must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. How about that? Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here we go, verses 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's read those three verses again. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me just drill into those few little exhortations. When you begin to grasp what God has done for you in Jesus, when you really start to get it, when it moves from being something that you were just brought up with, or, you know, it, was, it all seems so familiar that you get almost inoculated to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so familiar. What do they say? Familiarity breeds contempt. Something so familiar. Oh, you know, yeah, I know that. What was wonderful about worshipping with you this morning is I, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in a room of people that were like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I felt like I was in a room of people that were like, looking at it again and going, wow, I'm, I'm as amazed today as I was when I first met him. That's a beautiful thing. But when we realize the price that was paid for us, the blood of Jesus, something happens. If, if, you're, if you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit, something happens. And here's what it should result in. It should result in real care in the way that you walk. Real care. Like, really careful. Now, when I say careful, I'm not talking about being risk-averse. There's a lot of people around that are risk-averse. They won't, they won't risk anything for Jesus or the kingdom. I'm really not talking about that. And Paul isn't talking about that. This is a man who was shipwrecked. This is a man who was, you know, he was chased around the Mediterranean. There was plenty of risk involved in his life. He's not saying avoid risk. No, he's not talking about that at all. We must, mustn't make, must make sure that we don't kind of interpret it the wrong way. When he's saying, look carefully then how you walk, he's talking in the context of these things that he's been unpacking about the way that we very carefully keep an eye on our heart, our mind, and then out of that, our speech and our actions. Yeah. That we must be really careful. Because if you're not careful, there are influences out there 
that will influence your heart, your mind, your speech, and your actions, that will take you to a place where you become reckless and careless, and you, you begin to present who you are in a way that takes away from the gospel, in a way that hardens your heart, and in a way that causes harm to others around you. Paul says, no, you must be really careful here. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23? Above all else, guard your heart. Keep watch over your heart. Why? Well, from it flow the springs of life. Everything else comes out of there. And so if your heart is getting bitter or resentful or discouraged, then things will be, it, will, it will impact the water. <laughs> yeah? The quality of the water that flows out won't be what it should be. And so the words that come out, will, the water will be bitter. Or whatever. So Paul is saying, look, you must be really careful. You've got the provision of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that somehow automatically you'll just end up walking in a way that's godly. No, you have to take care. We've got to, we've got to be able to watch over how, what's growing in my heart. Not in a kind of overly introspective way, but when you're looking at Jesus and you're, and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will nudge you. He will say, we've got to keep an eye on that. You know? Because the enemy loves to sow little false stories in our minds, doesn't he? He loves to say things like this. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. That's a classic. Because if you, be, if you believe that story... You're not careful. You go, oh, you believe it. Never believe everything you think. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a common mistake. People literally believe everything they think or everything they feel, and then they order their life in light of it without going, hold on a minute, let's just stop. Let's just put up a little, a little sentry, a little guard there, and question what's trying to come in. Yeah? Because if I believe that story, I don't belong here, what do I do? Well, I begin to take very slow and incremental steps backwards, right? And then, as I keep doing that, guess what? I'm now isolated. Now, any of you have watched the David Attenborough programs, what happens once the wildebeest or the antelope is isolated? What happens next? They get picked off. Right. Isolation, enemy's number one tactic. Be careful how you think about your church family. No one loves you. No one loves you here. Oh, hold on a minute. We just got to put up a sentry at the, at the guard on the mine there. Where'd that come from? Look carefully how you walk, Paul says. Now, here's the thing I really want to feel important to focus on over this sermon. Not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom. Knowledge is, knowledge is when you, knowledge is the information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. You have some people, they're so knowledgeable, and you look at their life, and there's just a trend of destruction behind them. They're incredibly intellect, their intellect is extraordinary. They can talk about anything in impressive ways. They're intimidating to be around. But when you look at their lives, you look at the relationships, you look at the, the, in, the net impact of their life, when you really get under the bond, even if they've been successful, you find destruction relationally. You find foolish decisions. You, find, you think, really? What's going on there? And lots of knowledge, but no wisdom. I mean, the way the Bible talks about wisdom, I thank God that in the early days of my Christian life, I found the book of Proverbs. I thank God and took it seriously. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire compares with her. 
Do you believe that? Nothing you desire compares with her. Whatever it is in your heart, so you think, oh, I wouldn't mind one of them. <laughs> Whatever that might be. Nothing, nothing compares with, with that, does not compare with wisdom. Now, what f- the beauty of faith is that faith takes God's word seriously. Faith will read that and go, right, that's me. I'm going to pursue wisdom more than I pursue anything else. When was the last time you prayed for wisdom? Have a little moment. Have a, have a little moment. When was the last time you cried out for, what does the Bible say? Cry out for wisdom like it's treasure. Like it's gold. When was the last time you said, God have mercy on me. When was the last time, these are my, this, this, this is some, my, one of my favorite scriptures. You're gonna, some of you, you're going to hear this, you're going to go, what is this guy talking about? But I love it because it helps me. Probably Johnny knows where I'm going here from lead. I always do this. But listen, this, this, is someone, this is someone who's got it. This is someone who, contrary to how it sounds, is going to be wise. Listen to this. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. This is scripture. You think, what's he reading? What books he got inside, slipped inside? No, this is the Bible. Proverbs 30. The words of Agur. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. These words. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. That is self-awareness right there. That's someone who looks at life, looks at themselves and says, I'm going to get it wrong. I need you, God. I spend my life doing this. I'm always out of my depth. Most things I'm in in life, I'm out of my depth. Why? Because the things I'm in, I want to be fruitful in. I might be able to cope with some of them in my own strength, but I want to do more than cope. Amen? I want to be fruitful. And I can't be fruitful in those things without God's wisdom. And so I want to make it my habit and practice to cry out and be before God saying, Lord, you know, even if it's a silent one, Lord, I'm a donkey. Help me. I'll pray those things. I'll tell him that. Without you, I'm going to get this one wrong. I know it. My own preferences and my own prejudices will lead me to see things in a way that's not seeing them how you're seeing them. The Apostle Paul says this, walk in a way that is wise, not unwise. You might think, well, how do I know if I pray for wisdom that you know, I'm going to get it? Let me take you to one of the best promises in the whole of the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, listen to this. I'm going to start jumping up and down a bit. This is a really exciting one. Let him ask God... Listen, who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, in some, I think it's the NIV, or some of them say, without finding fault. What a wonderful promise. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it, what does it say? And it, you haven't turned there yet. Okay, I'll tell you. And it will be given him. What a promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously, so he'll give you loads of it. That's what generous people do. Don't you love being around generous people? Yeah, because you know when they get, buy you an ice cream, they're going to get you a double scoop without you even asking. That's, that's what generosity does. Right? God says, yeah, you want wisdom? I'll give you wisdom, and I'm not going to eke it out. You know, when we were young, me and my sister, she had a packet of crisps. So you can have a crisp. You say, yeah, but she'd hold the bag in such a way. Or she had a Snickers, and she'd put her thumb right near the end, so you just get a little, a little nibble of it. Right? God's not like that. Yeah? He's generous. Amen? 
It's a heart of generosity. God has got no limits. Do you understand? Some people think, well, if I ask God for that, and if he gives it to me, then someone else might miss out. Hold on a minute. Can we just get our doctrine of God straight? He's infinite. If he gives you a generous amount, he doesn't have less as a result. Do you realize that? Or if he gives you, if he gives you his attention, he's not going to ignore someone else. Do you understand this, right? So he must make sure we don't get into that way of thinking. Or he's got more important things to attend to. Do you know what? Yes, he probably does. Okay? But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to attend to you as if you were the only person on the planet. How about that? It's not, it's not like a pie chart. We'll get God's doing that. Someone might get, no, 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 no. We are dealing with the supreme being. Omnipresent. Infinite. Can completely give himself to us. As if we're the only person in the, in, on the planet, in, the, in creation. And at the same time, be fully attending to all the other things. Hallelujah. It's some little God we've created, some little statue. It's the screw down so it doesn't fall over. It's God. It's God. Yeah? It's not a God we imagined. We are the products of his imagination. We are here because he thought of us. It's God. And he's generous. Wow, what a wonderful thing. And, and he gives without finding fault. You see, because here's what happens in my head. I need wisdom. I start praying for wisdom. What's the next thing that happens in my head? What's the next exact next thing? I start to realize all the things I've done wrong. Is it just me? Yeah? God, please give me wisdom because... And then it's like, oh, no, but what about that? Or, oh, yeah, but I'm so this. You suddenly, it all floods in and you go, do you know what, Lord, don't worry about it. Because you think, well, hold on a minute. What does it say here? He gives to all generously. This is extraordinary. Will you believe this? This is scripture. This is the word of God. This is truer than any other thing you feel that is contrary to this. He gives without finding fault. Wow. So if you need wisdom, you come to him. Now, that's, James goes on. He says, actually, look, let, ask in faith. Don't be dithering around. Ask in faith. What, 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 well, what he's just said, he's generous, and he gives us that finding thought. Well, when you ask, ask him with, in light of that. Don't be saying to God things like, oh, yeah, Lord, you know, well, probably, it's kind of a weird thing, but, oh, yeah, well, probably, Lord, you won't want to give me it, because, you know, it's sort of thing, worrying out loud that we call praying sometimes. Dithering out loud. Maybe it's like, look, I, you know, when my kids ask me for outrageous things, it's annoying sometimes, I'll be honest, because I'm sinful, right? But there's part of me that loves it, because you think, you must think I'm really generous to ask me for that. Do you know what I mean? It reflects well on me. Do you understand? If your kids go, yeah, now, Dad, I never really ask you for anything. You go, well, I've probably had a really convenient life as a result. But how does that reflect on me? Yeah, they go elsewhere. Why? Well, probably Dad won't do it. Ooh. That's not good for my reputation. People think about God like that. My daughter rang me yesterday. And she said, can you pick me up? I said, well, she was literally about 200 meters away. <laughs> I just put, the pizza was there. My pizza was there. My book was here. My drink was there. It was a lovely situation. I was surrounded. <laughs> surrounded by wonders. Can you pick me up? Where are you? I've just got my dinner, you know. But, well, yeah, no, I will. 
I hadn't, see, I hadn't actually realised that she'd, she'd hurt herself. She didn't say she'd hurt herself. So she was struggling to walk. I hadn't realised. I thought she was outrageous. <laughs> but part of me thought, oh, I love the boldness. I love that she turned to me. I love that she didn't get an Uber. Do you know what I mean? I love she, she turned to me. Wow, that's great. You know? One of my other kids rang me this morning. They ring me most Sundays when they're serving because they're always late. So they ring about two minutes before they meant to be there and say, can you give us a lift? I said, I'm in Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, no, this is annoying, but it's good. It's annoying because I'm sinful, but it's good. Do you know what I mean? God isn't sinful, so he's not annoyed. Okay? But he knows, wow. We, wow, that reflects on him and his character. So when Paul says, be wise, and you go, I don't know how to be wise, ask him, and ask him, knowing he's generous, and he'll give you that point in thought. Amen? beautiful thing. What a, wonder, what a wonder. And as I, was, as I was just thinking about this, I was thinking, if there's one thing I could say to you about what does wisdom look like, just one thing. I could say a hundred things, but the thing I just wanted to say to you guys is, a, I don't know if it's, if it's for you as a church or you know, different individuals, but it's this. Be a one thing person. Be a one thing person. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and trust him with everything else. We are pushed and pulled by so many things, aren't we? Pushed, we're pushed and pulled by the world. The Bible says the whole world's under the power of the evil one. The enemy wants us to be covetous, bent out of shape, out of, you know, the heart has only got so much room for desire. You start desiring too many other things. I'll tell you what, it, you, you, they, it feels, it might just feel harmless, first of all. As, as it goes on, you realize these are weeds that are choking out the word of God in my life. These are weeds. That's what Jesus said. What are the weeds? Deceitfulness of riches. So love of money. It's a weed. Choke out what God's doing in your life. If you're here today and you're going, I, I, I really want Jesus and I really want to be rich. Okay, I'm going to say to you today, choose which one. It might be God's plan for you to be rich and then be really godly in your stewardship of money and really generous and all that. Fine. But the Bible says the love, those who desire to be rich fall into all sorts of trouble. De- decide which one. Jesus said, it's a weed, Mark 4. He said, the desires for other things. We just, I want this, and I want that, and I want this. That is going to impact upon your desire for Christ. Give him that top spot, and let the other desires settle under that, and then you, you can run with Jesus. Otherwise, you are just weighed down by so many things. And you think, why, isn't it, why, why am I limping instead of running? Your heart's just too full of other stuff. Go, go for the kingdom. And the other thing is the worries of this life. Can, it's just worries. Anxiety is weighed down by stuff. You know, just stuff. You know what I'm saying? Stuff, just things. You go, man, it's just getting on top of me. It can be really silly stuff. Like we found a hornet's nest in the garden. That's bothering me, that is. So I've got a birthday party coming up soon in the garden. I mean, how's this going to work? And it's just another, you know, it's another thing. You know, it's not a big deal, is it? Some people are experiencing famines and wars. It's not a big deal. But I tell you, it can be about 100, 100 things like that. And you, just, you know, you just kind of, your mind's on it, all of it, to-do list, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Enemy's going, this is great. This is great. You're just so distracted. This is great. You've got no, you got no room to really hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You've got no time to really pray and Pray for the lost. You're just wonderfully distracted. Brothers and sisters, we need to be ruthless 
if we are going to run the race with perseverance. It takes choices. It takes decisions that we make in light of the word of God. It, 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 it's not enough to sing about it. And I love singing about it. But it's not enough to sing about it. It's very, very practical, this stuff. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Time. I had to just get rid of so many things on my phone. What happened? Laughing at kittens and stuff. It's not wrong, is it? But you go, what, what the heck happened to that hour? Well, get rid of it. Get rid of it. I, knew, I was so... I was, fantasizing about throwing my smartphone into the River Thames, literally fantasizing about it, lobbing it. Because it's a challenge, isn't it? Time. What a commodity. Ah. That's wisdom. What do you do with your time? It's wisdom. Extraordinary commodity. You never get it back. As I approach 50, and I think, oh, odds are, odds on, I've got more time behind me then I got ahead of me in the race. That's a sobering moment, that one. That changes your mindset, that. You go, oh. You think these comes, you go, okay, I want to be, I want to be a faithful steward with time. And then it says, finally, and then we'll end on this, then we'll have a chance to respond, we'll have a little pray. Therefore, do not be foolish. It's interesting, often in the Bible, foolishness is more, it's got a moral element to it. It's not just being, saying, being silly. If you do a Bible study on folly and foolishness, you'll find that it's normally attached to moral things. It's, it's got a, it's, there's something immoral about it. There's something ungodly about it. It's not just being silly. It's this thing where you, you kind of, you know, you, you play around with unclean stuff. You get into stuff you shouldn't. It's, it's, it's that. Yeah? Don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, when it talks about here, the will of the Lord, it's not, it doesn't mean whether, whether you should go to the North Pole or the South Pole as a missionary. I know, it's fine to talk about the will of the Lord in that way, but normally in the Bible, when it talks about the will of the Lord, it's talking about living righteously. God is more concerned with your holiness and the keeping of the heart and your love for him and your love for your neighbor. You get those things in place, he can send you anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it will be quite a straightforward process. We get weighed down with these things. Really knowing what the will of God is, biblically the phrase it's referring to living a godly life. Keeping your heart. Attending to relationships in the church. Really, really investing. Because we're on mission together. We're on mission together. He's brought us together. Think remembering those outside of the faith who haven't experienced the grace we have. Thinking about don't not getting into a holy huddle in the wrong way. Thinking about it's important. Carrying the, the, the mission of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. Hallelujah. Go to the end of the earth, make disciples. Yes, Lord, I'm in there. I'm, I'm, I, I am investing. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm all in. That's the will of the Lord. He's given himself to you. Give yourself to him. Give yourself to his people. What does Paul say in Romans 12? We'll end on this. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. 
this is your reason, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's unreasonable not to give yourself to Christ. It's unreasonable to hold anything back. Why? Because he gave himself for you. Loved me and gave himself for me. Anything, any other response is totally unreasonable. So I hope that this has landed today and that you're encouraged and that you will take care of your heart and take care of the things that really matter. That you will cry out for wisdom knowing, knowing that the God you're asking is a God who is generous and gives without finding fault. Amen. Amen. That you will allow the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom about the use of your time because it's an amazing commodity. And that you will know in your heart what the will of the Lord is in terms of holiness and righteousness. Just the joy of walking with God. Just the, you know, the wonder of living with a clear conscience. It's an amazing thing. The writer to the Hebrews, he says, all the old sacrifices, the old animals and that, couldn't, couldn't do anything. You know, it's kind of a, it's just pointing towards the sacrifice of Christ. And the result of his sacrifice is that we are genuinely reconciled to God, but also that we're cleansed. Our conscience is cleansed. So there's nothing double about our lives. There's nothing double about who we are. We, we are who we are before God and before people. What a, li- what, what, what a lightness that brings. Because you're not sweating, you're not stressing, because you're kind of, you know, being tricky and trying to cover your bases. No, you've done all that. Hallelujah. We live before God by His grace. And we know that the only reason we can stand before God is because of the blood of Jesus. But that enables us also to lift our heads in his presence and to look others in the eye without shame. Amen? Amen. 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 If you, if you know that you just would like to take a moment to respond in some way to the Lord, to be able to just take this moment and say, Lord, you've spoken into my heart and I want to just, between me and you, I want to, I want to, I want to make a response that kind of feels concrete and feels like um, it's my way of saying yes Lord I want to respond to you I just ask you to stand where you are and I'm going to pray for you let's just lift our hearts and hands to the Lord and I want to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and I want to just ask as I pray please don't look to me Please look to the Lord. Because the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and it's not the pastor. It's the man Christ Jesus. So you just draw near to God in your heart. And if you just start telling him in your heart what it is, why you're standing, and what it is you need, you start just to let him know. You can speak it out loud, or you can just say it in your heart. It doesn't matter. He, he knows. But if you just let him know, say, Lord, this is why I've stood up today. Put words to it. Put words to it so it's concrete, so it's real. Oh Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your power. We thank you your power is made perfect in our weakness. We haven't got to bring anything to the table. 
accept our weakness, our poverty. And in exchange for that, Lord, you give us kingdom riches. We thank you for that. As these dear brothers and sisters have just drawn near to you now. And they're coming honestly before your throne. I just pray, Lord, they would know the reality of your presence now. They would be aware, conscious of your presence as they make themselves very conscious to you, as they, as they turn to you. I want to pray they would sense the nearness of God. Thank you that when we draw near, you draw near. So let them just even just sense that in their own spirit right now. God is attentive to my cry. That you have seen why they stood. Lord, that you are committed to giving generously and without finding fault. Hallelujah. And I pray, Lord, for fresh faith to come into the hearts of brothers and sisters, even today, Lord, that they wouldn't be uh, questioning in that, in that way, allowing those thoughts to fly around. Will God, won't God, we thank you, O oh God. You are faithful, you are generous, you are kind, you are merciful. And Lord, when we respond in sincerity of heart, we thank you, Lord, you see that, Lord, and it moves your own heart. And I thank you, Lord, that these are your children that are coming here to you today. And so I want to pray for a very generous outpouring of your spirit. Calm, Holy Spirit. Some are facing conundrums. I pray for wisdom in Jesus' name. I pray for some of you, you think, I don't know the way through there. I pray wisdom in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, you have become for us wisdom. I pray, Lord, your presence would come and bring wisdom. We thank you that you said a wisdom greater than Solomon is here. Hallelujah. Thank you, you indwell us. And now I pray, Lord God, bring clarity, bring a sense of confidence. Uh, I just pray for, for some, you're, you're, you're stuck. It's like you're stuck. You, you can't move forward because you don't know what to do. I just feel the Lord would want to say to you, just start moving in step with me and things will, things will adjust and move for you. So whoever that's for, we just pray, Lord, that they would just help give them the boldness and the courage just to begin moving forward, but with you step by step and letting you unfold the process and what's needed, I pray. I pray for those that are carrying pain and unforgiveness and they've felt that they've been wronged, I want to ask, Lord, you would give them the courage and the wisdom to know what to do, to know who to speak to, to know how to deal with stuff. But we want to pray the end result would be wonderful forgiveness and reconciliation in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray for that, Lord, for men and women across this room, Lord. They would just, just give... The, the, Lord, I pray for an obedient people. Lord, we would trust you enough to do what you say. We would trust you enough... Lord, to put into practice what you say. We wouldn't say yes and then not do it, Lord, but that we would build our house on the rock by obeying you, by doing what you said, and we would see the fruit of it. I pray that for these precious people in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Bless you. Uh, Steph, let's remain standing.